the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We have spent the first part of this week looking at a judge who was a not very good judge. Today, we begin looking at a good judge once again. That of Jephthah, the judge who made a vow. Join us. Way of Grace. Pastor Jessica Stan next. As we've seen this week, Abimelech has done a lot of evil things. Time to make some things right, and that's what Jephthah is all about. Welcome to today's broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan. Jephthah, the judge who made a vow, is the title of our message today. We're in Judges chapter 11. We'll take a look at verses 1 through 40 today. Join us as we explore another good judge. Here's Pastor Jesse with today's Way of Grace. There are 12 judges in the uh, canon and corpus of the book of the judges. And you have already been told that they are an intermediary between the patriarchy and the monarchy. If we were to be blessed by a uh, excursion through the book of the monarchy, we would learn a whole lot more about where we are today in terms of kingdom paradigms, defections, scandals, corruptions, treachery, tyranny, and the sort, because the kings definitely bring that home to us as well. But we are at the second to the last of our judges that we will be evaluating, and we are at Jephthah. Jephthah will serve for us a number of lessons as we make our way to what would probably be the most critical or controversial portion of Jephthah's Uh, short ministry uh, for the Lord and before the people of God. Thus, the title of our message today is Jephthah, the judge who made a vow. I put a little end note yesterday as I was studying through this and I wrote an addition to it and it was, and kept it, and kept it. And I would have you to think about that. I would have you to think deeply about a term that you very seldom hear. And yet it's everywhere in the scriptures when we're careful to look for it. Now, there is a lengthy backstory to Jephthah that goes back a couple of chapters. And in some ways it's related to our last judge, uh, Gideon, and more particularly to his son, Abimelech. If you're reading the scriptures carefully and you are observing the narrative more precisely, you already should see a parallel or what we call a paradoxical parallel between Jephthah and Abimelech, between the life of Abimelech and the life of Jephthah. 
like Jephthah, Abimelech is one of these outlier sons. If you guys remember, he was the son of a concubine. And Jephthah is the son of a whore. Life is complicated, is it not? But you need to tie these together because God is talking to you. You and I, by nature, are sons of concubines and sons of whores. So own it because it's true. And we'll see that here shortly. Both sons would be considered bastards. And uh, they didn't have the privilege of growing up with their dads. And as such, both boys would have a whole lot of personal interest and envy and jealousy and treachery towards their brethren with whom they were separated for many, many years. And we see that case here with Jephthah as we work it through. Here are the parallels. Point number one, the battle between Abimelech and Jotham. You remember Jotham, the little brother that was hid and rose up in defense of his father's house. You guys remember that? That is a thing for us because if you're looking carefully at what's taking place in the narrative, the father's house is being attacked. The father's house is being attacked. And we read over in chapter 9, verse 5 and 6, that Abimelech sought to destroy the house of his brethren. You guys remember that? Treacherous, treacherous it was. Verse 5, and he went unto his father's house at Oprah and slew his brethren, the sons of Jerubbaal, being threescore and ten persons upon one stone, notwithstanding, yet Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, left, for he had what? Hid himself. You and I understand that we're dealing with a spiritual battle, are we not? We also therefore understand that the battle between brethren go all the way back to the fall, do we not? And we recognize, therefore, a paradigm of hostility and variance between the flesh and the spirit, between the sons of Cain and the sons of Abel, between Ishmael and Isaac, between Jacob and Esau. And if you can carry the through line all the way between Jesus and the Pharisees. And so we see under point number one, the destroying of the father's house. And yet we see under subpoint B, the defending of the father's house. Do we not? Jotham is defending God's house. And notice what he says over in chapter nine, verse seven and eight. Briefly, you'll see the parallel shortly. And when they told it to Jotham, he went and stood at the top of Mount Gerizim and lifted up his voice and cried and said unto them, hearken unto ye, me, ye, hearken unto me, ye men of Shechem, that God may hearken to you. And then he set forth this parable. But if you look over at verse 17, he becomes explicit with it. Here it is. For my father fought for you and adventured his life far and delivered you out of the hands of Midian. And you are now risen up against my father's house this day and have slain his sons threescore and 10. Remember I told you that Gideon had 70 sons and here's Jotham saying that all 70 were killed. Jotham viewed himself, Jotham viewed himself as having died with his brethren and God raised him from the dead. So he could speak to everybody about the invincibility of grace, 
when God hides you in Christ, even though you have to die in the flesh, you are secured with eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, and you will yet speak to the triumph of Christ at length. And so Jotham does that here. And then we see the analogy of it over in John chapter 2, 13 through 17, fulfilled in Jesus. Do you know the first thing that Jesus did when he came into his father's house was to clean it up? Do y'all see the parallels here? Land what we call a Christocentric historical parallelism. May God give you eyes to see it because this book is about who? It's about Jesus and Jesus passed, and the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, as we keep walking through this, and found in the temple those that sold oxen and doves and the changers of money sitting. These are all the robbers and the crooks in the church. Y'all do know that, right? Can you, can you pick them out when you see them? Verse 15, here's verse 15, look at it. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple, the sheep and the oxen. Uh, and the and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. He completely deconstructed the temple. Everything's a mess now. Why? Because it was a mess spiritually. And the Son of God, like Jotham, is now defending his father's house. Is he not? This will be the beginning of his ministry for three and a half years. This is somebody that loves his father's house. You can carry that over for yourself. And he said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my what? Father's house, a house of merchandise. So we see in our first point, destroying the father's house. These would be wicked men, although they are actually physically sons of the house they are destroying. They would represent religious folk who call themselves Christians, but have no honor for the father and no honor for the sons and would destroy God's glory represented in his house. You guys understand what I'm saying. And that's what's taking place here in our text. Now, Israel, in our context, is in a very, very dark place. I want you to see this in Judges 11, starting at verse 19. Now, I want you to see what the context is. This is very bad. And Israel... Here it is, chapter 10. I'm at verse 6. I'm working through the judges here. It opens up in chapter 10 after Abimelech, and then we get to verse 6. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. Do you see it? We're used to that, aren't we? But here's what I want you to capture. Watch what the text says. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord and served Baalim. Now, for those of you who don't know your Bible, Baalim means many false gods. Baal is the singular form of the Antichrist Old Testament model of Lord. So whenever they use the term Baal, we would go Baal. Whenever they use the term Baal, it means that they are worshiping someone like Yahweh. Okay? Like the Lord Jesus, but opposite of him and contrary to him. And at this time, what are they doing? They are worshiping many Baals. Now watch what the author says. They served Baalim and Ashtoreth and the gods of Syria and the gods of Zidon and the gods of Moab and the gods of the children of Ammon that we're about to deal with and the gods of the Philistine, Philistine and forsook the Lord and served not him. The author wants you to get the fact that when we lose a good godly leader, and the people turn from what he taught them. They go from bad 
to worse. There's never kind of an even keel when it comes to us succumbing to idolatry and evil. We only go from worse to worse. That's how put it, Paul put it in the book of 2 Timothy 3. He says, evil men will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, that's the context we're in. I need you to appreciate that because as you have already learned in the book of Judges, there's no king in the land and every man is what? Doing what is right in his own eyes. You need to get that. So there is no principle keeping them intact. They're falling apart quickly and descending deeply into all kinds of sin. Now, you probably don't know it, but the number of the false gods that they are worshiping in this text is seven. And it corresponds to the seven nations that God said, make sure you destroy utterly when you go into the land. And here they are not only not destroying them, but worshiping them and abandoning abandoning Jehovah, the God that delivered them out of Egypt into the land of promise. Now, I know you're saying, boy, how evil can they be? No, say, how evil can we be? How evil can we be? The thing that I was thinking about right here, and this is just an addendum to it. You know, frequently I say we need to be praying for our children that God would put the handcuffs of grace on them, that he would uh, decree a limitation to their evil as they run out into the world. And then we pray that the tow truck of grace starts reeling them back in. Have you heard me say it? But what makes me wonder when I look at a verse like this is what kind of hooks can be in somebody who has been delivered by the grace of God over and over and over and over again and be dragged back to that same evil only to engage in it more virulently than ever before. That's a worthy thought, isn't it? Here's the point that you should take. The enemy is not sitting by idle. He wants you bad and he wants your children bad, bad enough that even if God had shown some special mercy and grace to you and your family, your children will act like they never saw the mercy of God ever in their life and run off to some of these pagan gods and and operate in the blindness of antipathy and hostility to God as if they never knew the name Jehovah. That's a bad situation to be in, isn't it? I would assert to you that's where we are in our nation today. And for me, this is why Jephthah makes so much sense. Point number two, then, in terms of Jephthah, there's a lot more to be said, but I want to I want to expedite our message. Jephthah is God's what? He's his dark horse. He's God's dark horse. It's a dark horse because it's a dark time. It's a dark horse because the times are almost impossible to describe in terms of the blackness of the apostasy on the part of the children of Israel. It's a dark time in Israel, so dark, so steeply black. How can you be a nation worshiping this many gods and not be utterly obscured in your spiritual capacity, in your moral capacity, in your ethical judgments, in your behavior. You've got to be walking in darkness. Can I ask you a question? Who would want to risk their life for that kind of people? Mm. See what I'm saying? Yeah, you, you need to think this one through because these people are about to be rescued. These wicked idolaters, 
He's profoundly talking about Jephthah's mother being a whore. The whole nation that's about to be delivered are whores. They're profoundly wicked. It's amazing how what God will often do when he gives you leaders. Those leaders will be a mirror of yourselves. And I just want you to capture this because you and I have to understand that the nature of grace sometimes is funky. That's an old term for those of us back in the 60s and 70s. If you young people don't get it, look it up on Google. Sometimes grace operates in a way that you won't get it till way down the line. That God will have to behave in a way that doesn't make rational, logical, human, emotional sense. Sometimes he's going to function in a way that the only thing you can hope is that God is in it. Because what we have under point number one is a man whose resume is really a challenge for religious folk. Look at the pastor. They're getting ready to hire for this church. Verse one. Now, Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor. Do you see it? Now, we've heard that term before. This is why I say there's a corollary here. Gideon was a mighty man of valor. Gideon was a weakling. Those are one of the necessary qualities for leadership because it must follow the pattern of Christ. He came in weakness. And it required him to depend upon the Lord all the way through his incarnated life as Gilead, uh, as Gideon had to do. But see, when we hire preachers, we want strong preachers. Like Saul, whom Israel chose. And not like David, whom his whole family rejected. Do y'all know where I'm going? Again. If we had to vote Jesus in, nobody would vote him in. I'm so glad that Jesus wasn't voted in. I'm glad he was installed by a sovereign God who raises up whom he wills and when he wills. Now look at the resume and and become uncomfortable with me for a moment and let some theology deliver you. Verse number two, uh, verse number one, he was a mighty man of valor And he was the son of a whore. What a mixed bag. That's what you and I are by nature. Do you ever hear me saying that you and I at the same time are simultaneously righteous? Mighty men and women of valor and sinful children of harlots. Did that come home? We are in between grace and glory. One day, God's grace is on us where it's evident that it's God working in us the will and the do of his good pleasure. On any other day, we might stumble and fall because we left our cape at home. And they look at us and realize we're just a rotten egg. And then we have to explain to them what we are. We are objects of grace on our way to glory, but we have not arrived there yet. And that helps some people realize that the gospel is for sinners. Not righteous people, sinners. And if you look carefully at our brother Jephthah, you'll learn some things about that brother. Can I help you with it? He loves God passionately. But you won't see that getting all caught up in how tall he is and what he looks like and 
how much money he has, how many degrees he has accomplished, what kind of businesses he has started. You totally miss that in his soul is a fire for the true and the living God, and that's what God sees. See, I can make it plain to you. Gideon is being called by God. I'm sorry, Jephthah is being called by God. Abimelech called himself. Do y'all remember that? Jephthah is going to prove that he's being kept by the Lord. And we're going to look at how being kept by the Lord is is evident by certain practical uh, uh, reciprocal means between the person that's called and the person that's kept. But do you know that immediately upon Abimelech calling himself and gathering to himself a crew of men and destroying his father's house, three years later, Abimelech went crazy. Do y'all remember that? No, you didn't because we didn't address it, but I'm going to show it to you now. Go on back. I just want you to see it for yourself. I want you to see it for yourself. Chapter 9, verse 22. And when Abimelech had reigned, how many years? Three years over Israel. You know, that's a quick time. So for three years, he played politics and preached peace, peace. And after three years, everything changed. See, you see him as a great type of antichrist, do you not? See, Antichrist always comes in with policies of peace for a time, a times, and a half a times. But in that third year, he begins to emerge and go into perdition. Do you see it? Look at what the text says here. Then God, are you at verse 23? Then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. Do you see it? And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. From that point on, there was nothing but conflict. This is called civil war. Conflict between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem. Nothing but conflict. Nothing but hostility. Nothing but variance. And they got what they asked for, didn't they? They got a man who campaigned on killing his whole family. He was a murderer. And they chose a murderer over one of the son's of Gideon. Do you see hints and and emblems of where we are in the gospel? Barabbas, we want Barabbas. Barabbas is what we want and kill Jesus. Y'all keeping up with me, right? See, this is how you lay a foundation to the continuity of redemptive truth in the scriptures, because that's what the Holy Ghost teaches us. It teaches us the coming of Jesus, his sufferings and his glory. And then it teaches you and me how Way too frequently, we are on the wrong side of the team. So under point number two, Jephthah is God's dark horse. He's in between grace and glory. I love it. As are we. And this only makes sense to you if you're a child of God, right? It only makes sense to you that God is choosing a young man that he's calling a man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. That makes sense to me. That makes sense to me because... I'm in between grace and glory. And what grace is, is God giving you something you don't deserve. Right? And and frequently grace will show up in the life of God's choices. When, When we look at them, we say they don't qualify. But what you don't know is that God qualified them under different terms. Terms that you don't see. Terms that you can't bear record to unless you're on the inside of grace. If you're before grace in your sin, you're self-righteous and all you know is a standard of works by which you will quickly say he can't possibly qualify. 
But if you're inside of grace, you say, you know what? If he qualifies, I qualify. And if you're on the other side of grace in glory, you are shouting hallelujah because heaven is filled with a bunch of redeemed sinners just like Jephthah, just like Gideon, just like Samson. Well, you are listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. Closing out our time together today, we invite you to reach out to us. Let us know how the program encourages you in your walk with Christ. Questions, comments, prayer requests are always welcome. You can either write to us, give us a call, or stop by our website and drop us an email. Now, the best place to go, of course, is the website. Not only will you be able to write to us via email, you'll be able to get more information about who we are, what we believe, worship times, how to get here. Grace-Bible.com is our website. Again, that's Grace-Bible.com. If you wish to give us a call, the number is 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're writing to us, our address is 22768 Main Street. That's 22768 Main Street here in Hayward. The zip code, 94541. That's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. One final note as we close out our time today, this program is listener-supported. If you wish to partner with us, we would be more than grateful. This broadcast airs throughout the Bay Area, as well as online, impacting thousands for the sake of Christ. And that is our hope and our goal. If you'd like to partner with us along those lines, feel free to write or give us a call. No gift is too large, no gift too small, whether a one-time gift or a monthly support. You're more than welcome to reach out. We would love to partner with you as we minister the gospel of Jesus to the Bay Area and the World Wide Web. Thank you for spending time with us today. Until next time, may Christ be your way of grace. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.